Well, I wouldn't say that I'm a thankful person. I'm not a very thankful person by nature of my personality. I think I'm actually quite a pessimist. Any other pessimists in the room? Woot, woot. Realists, that's what we are, not pessimists. We're realists. Um, I grumble a lot, and I think a big part of that is that I have high expectations, um, kind of like Chevy Chase in Christmas Vacation, you know? I have high expectations, and then I get disappointed when those expectations aren't met. And that leads to this pattern, and maybe you've seen this pattern in your own life. It leads to this pattern of grumbling, and then blame shifting. Matter of fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about how first we blame God, then we blame the people around us, and then finally we come to the despairing place of blaming ourselves. And so we blame shift, and then that turns into, once you blame shift, you start blaming yourself, that turns into escape. And so then you say, well, forget this. I'm just going to watch Netflix for six hours, right? Forget about life. I'm just going to go eat 15 Big Macs. Right, and you, you escape, and then that turns into shame, and then that just process repeats, right? Anybody can relate to that process? There's just me. A little more hands in the air, even you pessimists and optimists alike. Okay, well, maybe you can relate to that. Matter of fact, if I was a fly on the wall in your house, I would love to be in your kitchen and to learn that you're probably just like uh, my family. You know, there is a guy who we know, his name is Don, and Don had ants in his kitchen. And it was quite the case of ants, and his family was complaining. And Don said to his family, as they're all griping, he said, you know, the Lord says, look to the ant, you sluggard, and learn a lesson from the ant. And um, now that was how Don reacted. I think if you're like me, or how you are, you probably would have wanted to hit Don. Um, that's a true story. Now, on the other hand, you can probably more relate to the person who's currently suing Burger King because the burger doesn't look like the picture. And so they're suing Burger King for false advertising. And so I can relate more to that person than to my acquaintance, Don, who says, look to the ant. But the truth is that thankfulness is important. Thankfulness is important for the Christian life um, it recognizes God's goodness. Thankfulness counteracts entitlement and arrogance. It helps us focus on God by shifting our gaze from our circumstances upward to him. It enhances our worship. I mean, think about how much, let's be honest, think about how much our worship through song was altered by Caleb's testimony, right? Caleb's testimony of thankfulness then begins tenderizing your heart so that you're more receptive to worshiping through song. All of these things work together. It strengthens the church community because when someone else is thankful, it kind of rubs off on you and you become a little more thankful. And grumbling works the same way. If I start to grumble, then you're like, you know what, that does stink. And then all we, we, before you know it, we're grumbling together and we just went and got 15 Big Macs, okay? And that's what happens. But thankfulness is also a powerful witness to the world. And I think that last piece is important because I think we get quite confused between biblical thankfulness and secular thankfulness. You know, secular thankfulness is seeing the silver lining, counting your blessings, kind of the traditional things that your kids write on the turkey feathers 
in preschool. But biblical thankfulness is different. Biblical thankfulness is deeper, richer, and it can't be taken away. It's a different type of concept, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And Because this is the reality. If you want to be thankful in your prayer life, it doesn't just begin by saying, well, i got to be thankful in my prayer life. Thankfulness in your prayer life begins with truth, and then that flows into your thoughts, and then that flows into your prayers, and then it will flow into your conversations. And so you don't just begin by saying, I'm going to be thankful in my prayers, because then what's going to happen is you're going to go like this, be thankful, and you're going to be like, thankful for my family, I'm thankful for health, thank you for this day. Okay, here's my list of stuff that I'm going to pray for now. And it just becomes routine, and it becomes really forced and false. And so we're going to do kind of a general real overview here of thankfulness in the book of Colossians, one of Paul's letters to the church in Colossae. And so I'm just going to read beginning in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul, who was a former terrorist who became a follower of Jesus, used to kill Christians, then he became one. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding, abounding, or if you have the NIV, it's overflowing in thanksgiving. Um, You know, Paul's letter to the Colossians mentions thanksgiving a lot, thankfulness quite a lot, which is ironic because Paul wrote it from prison, right? And so Paul's teaching on thankfulness while he's sitting in the slammer. And we see in these two verses, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, we see in these two verses that believers should overflow or be abounding with thanksgiving. And here's Paul's thought process, okay? His thought process is this. He says, hey, Colossians, as you received Jesus, which was by works. Now, how do they receive Jesus? By faith. As you receive Jesus by faith, I want you to continue in that. Now, for those of you who are here and maybe you have no idea what it means to be a follower of Jesus, um, loving Jesus is different than loving Christianity, Okay, loving Christianity says, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, do this, make sure you do this on Sundays, do this on Christmas Eve, and this on Easter, and this on Ash Wednesday, and this on Good Friday. That's religion. But following Jesus says, Jesus says, love me. He says, believe that I am who I said I am, that I'm doing what I said I'm going to do, and that I will do what I said I'm going to do. I'm going to come back. Eagerly expect and await my return because I died on a cross for your sins. And all I'm asking is that you trust me that when the Father gives you into my hand, I will actually carry you all the way home. Saving faith is receiving what Jesus has already done. And so this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, you received Jesus by faith. Now, Paul knows they received Jesus by faith because he begins in chapter one of saying that the evidence of their faith is their love for one another. And not only their love for one another, but their hope in the future glory. In other words, it doesn't matter how bad things are today. They have hope for the future, and they have love for one another in the in-between. And he says that you church in Colossae, you have to continue in this most basic focus on faith. Faith in the gospel. 
gospel just means good news. Faith in the good news. And as you focus and continue on faith in the gospel, faith in the gospel, faith in the gospel, Paul says your roots are going to go deep, 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 deep. And the trunk and the branches are going to grow up and out and you're going to bear fruit. That's exactly the picture he says when he says rooted and built up or rooted and growing up in him. It reminds me of Psalm 1, that the man who meditates on God's word day and night is like the tree planted near the stream of water that is always strong, always vibrant, green, bearing fruit in its full season. So Paul is essentially saying the gospel is the stream and be like the tree planted right next to the gospel so that your roots go down into that gospel water and your, and your branches and your trunk grows up so that you're strong. But the question is, how does that kind of growth happen? And Paul tells us that it is by faith. It's by faith. Listen, the gospel, your hope, your salvation, the only hope that you have, it begins by faith, it grows by faith, it flourishes by faith, and it ends by faith. You need the gospel. Let me give you a completely hypothetical situation. Let's pretend that yesterday you had a bad day. Let's pretend that this week you had a bad week, right? Probably now it's no longer hypothetical for 80% of you. Well, you know, your works-based righteousness says, you know what, I had a terrible day. I don't feel like going to church. I don't deserve to sing on the worship team. I don't deserve to teach kids today. I don't deserve to greet people. Matter of fact, I feel like a total phony as I participate in any of these things. And that's all works-based righteousness. I'm coming to Christ in my name, and my name is not adequate. And so then we feel that sense of shame. But the gospel says, you never came to me in your name in the first place. You come in Jesus' name. And so it's not about coming in your name, that you had a good week, you had a bad week, you had a good night, you had a bad night. You only come in the name of Christ. And then the flesh says, yeah, but this is how I feel. I feel unworthy. I feel worthless. I feel, I feel, I feel. And the gospel says, I don't care how you feel. It's not true. And so we put our faith in the gospel over our feelings. That's what Paul means when he says it's by faith, it's by faith, it's by faith. And the tangible result of growing in faith, Paul says right here, is an overflowing abundance of thankfulness. And this is where we start to gulp. Because as David was talking to me this week, he was reading Colossians recently, and he said, I was thinking about these verses, and he said, I had this thought, if I'm not overflowing with thankfulness, am I actually growing? Think about David's question, his ponderance. If I am not overflowing with thankfulness, am I actually growing deeper and stronger? That's a great question. And I think we can answer it very truthfully. If we aren't growing in thankfulness, maybe we aren't growing in maturity. Or can I say it another way? We aren't focusing on the gospel. Maybe we're focusing on Christian stuff. Christian responsibilities, Christian things. Maybe we're focusing on the world. Maybe we're focusing on things that are important, our job, 
our family, school, making sure that we fix that window that's drafty as it gets colder. We could be focusing on a whole lot of things. Maybe I'm trying to earn God's favor, favor, and then I won't be thankful because even when I have success, it won't be thankfulness. Do you know what it will be? Entitlement. And I'll think God owes me something. Don't you know how serious I am about my faith, God? I feel like you owe me something in answer to prayer. Like Caleb had that huge answer to prayer. I'm still waiting right? We turn into entitlement because we're trying to earn something. But if I realize everything I have is a gift, I won't be entitled. I'll be thankful. This is why we have to keep coming back to faith in the gospel. See, it's more than just counting your blessings. And that's, let's go back to chapter one. In chapter one, verse 12 to 14, Paul's praying for the Colossians. And he says, every time I think of you, I'm giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So now here Paul is telling them, hey, look, I pray for you. And every time I pray for you, I'm thanking God. I'm thanking, I'm praying for your maturity. I'm praying for your growth. And, and, but I want you to see the foundation of his prayer. Paul does not say, hey, I want you to give thanks because you're not in prison. Like I'm over here in prison. You're not in prison. You got to count your blessings. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, hey, be thankful because I've been to Colossae and it's 20 minutes from Heropolis, which is a famous hot spring, which is also true. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, be thankful because you live in a wealthy city and you have all kinds of things that other people don't have if they're from other parts of the Roman Empire. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, hey, be thankful because I've been to Turkey and it is, the weather is nice, the food is delicious. No. He says, be thankful because you have been transferred, rescued from the domain of darkness and then you've been planted in the kingdom of of light, the kingdom of his beloved son. Once you were in darkness and chains, and now you're transferred and adopted. Once you were disqualified from any blessing, and now you have been qualified to be a co-heir, inheriting the same thing as Christ. That once you were guilty, but now you are forgiven and redeemed. He says, if you are in Christ, this is your reality. And if you are in Christ, it's your reality too. No matter what kind of day you had, no matter what kind of week you had, no matter what kind of life you had. Some of you have had really bad hands. But if you're in Christ, this is true of you. I want you to imagine a vast and desolate landscape. It's shrouded in darkness. There's an endless expanse where shadows loom and hope is just like a distant memory. But in the midst of all of this bleakness, there's a divine rescue mission unfolding. There's a radiant light that pierces through the oppressive gloom and the captives 
of the shadows feel the warmth of a love that they've never experienced, and it's a love that knows no bounds. It's the merciful hand of God reaching down to rescue and redeem, dragging them towards the light. And as he drags them, the chains of darkness shatter, and the once broken heart finds healing. This is the reality for every believer, a miraculous transfer from the desolate domain of darkness to the glorious kingdom of light in the embrace of of God's son, in in the embrace of our beloved. We are discovering a new citizenship. We're experiencing a realm where grace reigns on the throne, where love is supreme. That's our reality, Paul says. And its result is that we're qualified to share in Jesus's inheritance. We receive the forgiveness of our sins. And it's also the foundation of our thankfulness. Now let's fast forward to Colossians chapter three. Beginning in in verse one of chapter three, this is what Paul says. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's look at these truths that Paul says. Kind of you have to mix the order around to really get a a flow of thought. The most basic thought is this. You have died. That's the most basic thing you need to realize right now. It says, for you have died. Okay? And then it says, your life is hidden in Christ. Okay? Remember in The Empire Strikes Back, when Han Solo cut open the tauntaun and he shoved Luke inside the body to keep him warm, right? Who's with me? Caleb's with me, all right? You remember that scene? Why am I bringing that up? Because this is literally what Paul is saying. He's saying, God hid your body in Jesus. The church is the body of Christ. We are in his body. His body was crucified, His body died, therefore you died. That's Paul's argument throughout the New Testament. Paul is saying you were in his body, and so you were crucified, you were killed, and you were dead and buried. And also, God raised you from the dead when he raised Christ from the dead. It says in verse 1, You, if then you have been raised. In other words, a past something that happened that has continued results. You have been raised. How many of you currently feel like you've been raised with Christ? Most of us think about that something that's happening in the future. But look what Paul says. You have been raised. Right now, this is just like, what are you? You're like a, you know, a zombie walking around, okay? You have been raised and your life is hidden with Christ. You are currently seated at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because the church is his body. This is Paul's argument in Ephesians as well, by the way. You're there too, spiritually. 
Now, he says, Jesus is your life. You live because he lives. It says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. This is just in case you're wondering if I'm like making it up. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus comes back to enforce his rule and reign, you will appear with him glorified. Why? Because you are hidden in his body. This isn't your future. This is your current reality. And the point is this, it is unseen. It's unseen. That's why Paul says, therefore, seek the things that dwell up there, not the things that you see down here. Focus on the things that are of heaven, things that are of the spirit, not things that are of the flesh of earth. Therefore, fix your mind on the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen. You see, thanksgiving in the book of Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and Galatians and Romans, okay, (laughs) go on and on and on. Thanksgiving in these books has nothing to do with counting your blessings. It's about recognizing the foundational role of Christ in your life and then responding with a deep sense of gratitude and awe. Thanksgiving is about is a reminder, or this is a reminder to be continually thankful for the spiritual abundance that comes through faith in Christ. See, true thankfulness, true gratitude is not rooted in the temporary seen blessings of the day, but in fixing our eyes on what is heavenly above, unseen, and eternal. It's present spiritual realities and future grace. What am I saying? If you're going to remember, I'll boil it down to a sentence. Biblical gratitude is rooted in your heavenly reality, not in your earthly circumstances. Biblical gratitude is rooted in your heavenly reality, not in your earthly circumstances. So if you want to be thankful, if, you're, if I'm preaching to myself and you say, I want to be a more thankful person, stop looking down here. Stop looking down here for all the things to be thankful for and start looking up there because everything down here can be taken away by death, disease, rot, and time. But nothing up there can be taken away from you. And so be thankful to things that endure. Be thankful for the treasures that do not rot and stop focusing exclusively on all the things that can be stripped away in a moment. Because if you do that, you'll never be happy. What's the result of all of this shifting in our mind? Paul explains it in verse 15, chapter 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, the overflow of your transference from darkness to light is thankfulness. The overflow of your transference from darkness to light is thankfulness. And when you allow the truth of the gospel to reign in your mind, 
to reign in your heart. You have peace. Paul says, let peace reign. Be honest. What reigns in your thought life? What reigns in your heart? Paul says, he doesn't say, well, let anxiety reign. Let grumbling reign. Let complaining reign. Let covetousness reign. Do everything you can to fix your eyes on Instagram and Pinterest that you might constantly wonder why you don't have more stuff. That's not what he says. He says, let the peace of God reign. How? By letting the word of Christ dwell in your heart, in your mind. The easiest way to cultivate thanksgiving and prayer is to fix your mind on truth. The easiest way to cultivate thanksgiving and prayer is to fix your mind on truth. The easiest way to fix your mind on truth is to saturate your mind with the word. Dwell in the word and let it dwell in you. Do you realize this is, I wish, I wish Christians got this. They, they don't, we don't. But do you realize how much of the Christian life would be simplified and empowered if we would just dwell in the word of God? if we would let the word of God dwell in us richly, do you realize how transformed a people we would be? Instead of letting Christianity dwell in us, letting the word of God dwell in us richly, it would change our prayers. It would change our thoughts. It would change our conversations. It would change our actions and our deeds. We make it so complicated, don't we? And so practical application, I'm going to give you four things. One, start your day in the Word. Start your day in the Word. You have time. If you have time to watch a movie, if you have time to go on social media, if you have time to read the news, you have time for the Word. Because only one of those things I mentioned is eternal, and everything else is fading away. And so focus on the thing that cannot be stripped away and the thing that will endure instead of coming up with a lot of excuse, excuses about how you have to get your abs ready for baptism season, okay? And so focus on the word. Read the word. Reflect on the word. Respond to the word in prayer. When you read the word, just ask, what is this one big biblical reality that God wants me to see? Oh, I've been transferred from darkness to light. Great. Two, second thing, keep a gratitude journal or an index card box where you write these things down. I'm going to say it again. Keep a gratitude journal or an index card box where you write these things down. What do I mean, these things? These biblical truths. I think that's more important than writing down the day's blessings. It's more important to have an index card that says, Jesus is my good shepherd who lays down his life for me. And when you feel like a pile, you can pull the index card out and you can remind yourself about what's true. Otherwise, you're going to go, 
I'm thankful that I have heat today. That doesn't help me when I want to murder my family, right? But you focus on what is the big biblical truth, the big biblical truth. Write those things down. Yes, count the day's blessings, but the big biblical truths are going to what actually endures and pulls you through difficult circumstances. The third thing, pray with Bible-centered thanksgiving. When you pray, incorporate those index cards, so to say, into your prayers. You pull out those cards. Say, I don't know what to pray today. Pull out a card. Okay, Jesus is my shepherd. Use that as your framework for thanksgiving and prayer that morning. Okay, it says his, he is, he's Yahweh, he's gracious and merciful. All right, I'm gonna use gracious and merciful as my, as my launch pad for prayer today. By letting the word of God dwell in you richly and keeping it in front of your face, you have a diving board to jump into thanksgiving in your prayers. Otherwise, you're just brainstorming. Brainstorming thankfulness. God is my father. I am secure in Jesus's hands. Those of you who were here praying before the service, you made a big long list of all those things. Write them down so you can put them in front of your face. Maybe it's what you read that morning in the Word. Maybe you feel dry and you need to pull the index card out of something you read a month ago. And the fourth thing is this. Express thanks in community. Share words of thanks. I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to be honest, it's like straight talk with Billy. Okay? I don't know where Gina is. Is Gina here? See, Gina ran away. (laughs) Um, I'm going to tell you the hardest thing about being a pastor, and especially being a pastor's wife. It's that you only hear the bad stuff. Do you realize nobody schedules a meeting with me so they can tell me about their victories? They only schedule meetings with me so they can tell me about how their life is falling apart. Do you want to develop a culture of gratitude and thankfulness in our church? Share positive things. I'm not, I'm not upset about the difficult conversations, but share positive things with your elders, with your elders' wives. Text Gina and tell her about the wins. Text me and tell me about the wins. Don't just text us and tell us that the music was too loud that week, okay? Or that you really don't like that new song I introduced. I appreciate the feedback. Thank you. You hear me? We cultivate a community of thankfulness when we share these things together. We don't just keep them to ourselves. See, thankfulness in prayer is more than counting your blessings. It's dwelling on what is true. It's praying about what is true. It's reminding one another about what is true. It's a determination to acknowledge God's grace And it's a decision to cling to the transformative work of Christ, that he has transferred me from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And if I fix my mind on that, I always have a deep well of gratitude from which I can draw. Despite my circumstances, despite my failure, despite disease, despite death, because biblical gratitude is rooted in your heavenly reality and not your earthly circumstances. The earth is going to burn up, guys, and everything we cling to right now will drift away. 
but there's some things that are eternal. And so we look to those things in prayer. We cling to those things for our thankfulness. We fix our mind on the truth. Let's pray. Lord, you have revealed in your holy scriptures everything that we need for life and godliness. God, if we are honest with ourselves, when we slip, forget slipping, when we sprint into sin, it's because we're no longer fixing our eyes and our mind on the things of Christ. When we grumble, it's because we've ceased to fix our mind on the things of Christ. Lord, just forgive us. I don't need to belabor that point. And we thank you that Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for my 42 years of ingratitude. There's no condemnation for all the failure, all the sin, all the shame. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Let us be thankful for what is true. In your name we pray, amen.